Hey guys, welcome back. Today we have Jim Davis. Jim is a teacher, coach, powerlifter, poet, painter, yes, you heard that right, Bob Ross style, and former professional football player. He's a graduate of Harvard University, Northwestern University, and Knox College. He was named the NASA National Coach of the Year in 2018, runner-up in 2019. He and his team at the Good Athlete Project are devoted to maximizing the potential of athletics as education. Very similar to what we do with Movement to Be, trying to help kids uh, in different communities learn more about the power of movement. So was really excited to have him on here today. Jim and I are going to dive into a wide range of subjects. And as always, I really, really, really encourage you guys to download your free podcast reflection sheets courtesy of Allie Kirshner. And you guys can do so by going to artofcoaching.com backslash podcast reflections. Or if you just go to the podcast page on our website, there's a simple link that takes you right there. For those of you that are new to the show, we just really try to encourage not being a passive learner. Um, We know that you listen while doing a wide variety of things, so it's certainly not us attacking you. But we go to a lot of time and care and attention to try to really help you extract as much as you can off of each episode. Also, If you guys haven't heard yet or you're new to the show, we run live social skills-based workshops for coaches and leaders the world over. And if you're paying attention to the news and you paid attention the last three, four, five, six months, guys, there's never been a better time to double down on becoming a better communicator. This isn't trust falls and cold walking. We have the first social skills evaluation that has been uh, validated by the research that can help you get better at the seven key areas of communication. It's a safe place to fail. We all get feedback from our peers. It's a wide range of vocations and professions that are involved. We've had people from more than 20 countries and a wide range of professions take part. If you want to learn more, make sure you go to artofcoaching.com backslash apprenticeship. And all of this can always be found just at artofcoaching.com in general. So if you're loving this, it's one-tenth of the resources we provide. All right, guys, let's get on to our episode with Jim. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me, and now let's dive into today's episode. Hey guys, you're jumping right in to the conversation with myself and Jim Davis. We were doing a little pre-show kind of chat about, you know, what to expect. Like I do with every guest, we talk to them about how it's conversational. And then Jim asked just a really thoughtful question in the midst of it all is he just said, how are you doing? <laughs> it's something I don't really ask myself a whole lot, uh, very much, but then we started talking about life and family and training. And, uh, you know, I had gone through my rigmarole and then I asked him, you know, about how his training has taken a hit his personal health or training during this time time. And, uh, the conversation was too good that I said, stop, man, we've got to record this. So you guys are jumping right into the conversation to give you the context. And I do want Jim to get back into it is I just let him know, you know, uh, things that had been altered in my life, not from a business, a 
and family standpoint, but also just mentality, right? Like saying yes to too many things is something I've dealt with. Uh, the fact that I'm not able to get as much reading or learning done as I'd like, because I'm, I'm, I'm teaching so much more right now, virtually and what have you. And it's hard to keep up. And then I said, you know, am I alone, Jim? I go, has your training, do you find that sometimes when you're overwhelmed, you start to lose attention in in your own training sometimes? And Jim, if you wouldn't mind picking back up there, uh, they'd love to hear it. Yeah, we were talking about what what essentially in this strange moment goes to the wayside. And I, and I think maybe it's the things that you're most comfortable with and even the things that you love. So like I love training and I think I'm, I have a great enough confidence that I feel like I can work through maybe 30, 40 minutes efficiently, but then scrape some off the back end. And just as you were kind of recapping that for people. I'm going to go deep real quick. I hope yeah, that's okay. Yeah, by, by all means. <laughs> all right. Then I'm, I, I wonder, I, I'll, I'd compare it to, as I met, like consider this uh, in this post-quarantine moment, some of the things that fell to the wayside, little bits of training, which is unfortunate. But as I compare it to like the relationships in my life, I've reflected on this before. I think sometimes I'm toughest on the people I love. Mm. And I'm, I'm going to try to connect this to the, the metaphor, to the, to the relationships thing. Uh, you know, and like, I, I've been very tough on my little sister before throughout my life. How much younger is she? she uh, she's about a year and a half. Year and a half. Pretty, cool. and, and we're very close. And how old are you? Yeah. Just to give the audience, cause I can see, but the audience can't. All right. Well, I'm 36 now as of fairly recently. Well, so, happy belated. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, she's just, she's a little younger than me also in education and athletics. She's a, an incredibly accomplished field hockey coach and, uh, even better, I think as a wife and a mom recently. But I, I recognize that, that I have been, I've been tough on her. And I think one of the reasons I've been tough on her, it's sort of twofold. I obviously want the best for her, uh, but I also kind of believe inherently that she will forgive me, that she will be there. And, and, and if I'm working through uh, maybe a tough patch in life and I'm short with her, shorter than I should be, yeah, uh, I, I think that's one of the first things to go. I might be super nice to the, the cashier at the grocery store, but I'm short with my sister. Yeah. And I think part of it's because it's believe that, you know, we've been together. Uh, there's, there's love and respect and that I believe she'll be right there on the back end. I wonder if I'm, you're kind of, like I said, you're making me think deep. I wonder if I'm feeling the same way about training. Training is not going to leave my life anytime soon. So no. things got a little crazy. Um, I, I, I worry that maybe I shorted this thing that I loved in part because I had confidence that it'd be there on the back end. Yeah. Well, I can appreciate that. And I think even our listeners that, you know, aren't in training or strength and conditioning do, I mean, cause I have friends in the corporate space that, you know, many of them are avid train people that they train avidly. So whether it's triathlons, Ironmans, uh, I even have one friend that's in, he's in banking and he'll do powerlifting and what have you. Um, yeah. so I think everybody can relate. I know for me, a lot of it has just been continuing to second and third guess some things. One, I, you know, it always makes me, I, I think this situation and just life in general, especially owning a business made me smarter in programming as a whole, because I realized that, you know, when I used to program as a GA or just even as a young strength coach, when I didn't have many worries, right. I I could recover tremendously and people are very quick to attribute that to age, but it's also Mm -hmm. just a lack of other stressors, right? You're not poking Mm -hmm. the holes in that bucket. And so, you know, then it's easy to forget then that you were programming for student athletes who had class and girlfriends and all these other things and, and what have you. And so a lot of times you just thought you could throw anything at them. And in many ways you can at certain ages, right. And they're going to bounce back. But now that I have, you know, whenever you get bills to pay and family and life stress and business stress and oh my gosh, and little things that crop up, 
I, I've just really learned that the smallest stressor it can really be that straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm-hmm. And then you totally. go out into the garage and you're like, man, I'm supposed to be around 80, 85% today of my lifts. But th- you know what? This shit, we're just going to get it in. And there's old yeah. me. There's this devil on the shoulder that's like, bah, you know, you're soft. Go, you know, right, <laughs> you're right, soft. Right. That's like, and then the other me is like, I've really had to think and I consider, and I'm not trying to be indelicate, but there's just so many people in our field that are blown out by the time they're 40 and 50. And I'm like, you know Mm -hmm. what, if I feel like doing a goblet squat today, instead of just loading up the bar, like old me would, and maybe save my, I'd rather end up squatting. Like, now let's say somebody's like, well, you're going to be, if you take that attitude, you'll be weaker in old age and whatever. Will I? Because if, if doing some things now that auto regulate, make me quote unquote weaker, but save me from a blown back or a blown hip Mm -hmm. or a blown, whatever, I'll take it. You know, like, I'm not gonna, I'm sorry. You know, I'll still throw down with the best of them when that devil's on my, but like, I don't need to prove myself to myself every five seconds every more anymore. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and actually that, that maps onto a lot of the thinking that I've been doing over quarantine as well, which is like, like you said, uh, it's not the 85% plus today that's going to necessarily lead to anything long-term. Yeah. I think the, the real skill over the course of a lifetime is prioritization in, and uh, identifying what one's clear purpose is. I, I got to throw this out there. I hope I'm not, you're fine, man. Both think fast and, and deep and, and uh, a lot of metaphors. So this is going to be, this might be a challenge for some listeners, but I, I like it. Um, I, I just think there is such a cool opportunity to identify what we always say, what I say in my life and what we say at the project all the time is uh, there, there are really three key components that we're dealing with often it maps on to a lot. It, it is conscious coaching in a way, you know, it's, it's self-awareness, purpose, and self-management. And that, those are the three sort of buckets that we try to put things in. It, it, it pairs to your work very closely. Um, it, you know, the, the self-awareness part, when I go into the gym now and I think, well, I'm supposed to hit, this is the number I'm supposed to hit for this amount of reps. I have to have the self-awareness to sort of take stock of whether or not it's appropriate. I have to have a clear purpose in mind. And, and you mentioned an interesting one. If I, if I'm worried about losing strength long-term, if that's my purpose, then the th- number three self-management isn't just slamming weights around. It might also be a reconsideration of like, well, where am I today? Well, I slept for five hours last night because I've been thrown off by this whole thing. Uh, I've got a weird thing going on in my hip. Maybe I tone this down, hit some goblet squats, do some single leg variations. And the next time I'm asked to come in and squat big, I'll even, I'll be even better for it. And I won't have to deal with injuries. So if you talk about purpose as sustained strength, lifelong health and wellness, then that moment, that day takes on a much greater perspective. Yeah. And I think I can relate to that as somebody that again, used to a big, a big way that I worked through my depression as a teenager was through exercise addiction, really, you know, and what I, what, what I think what people always, and especially in our field, uh, but others as well. I know I talked to my friend Carl about this are afraid to admit is really, if you're pretty strong and we can talk about strength standards or what have you, but if you're pretty strong, pretty fit many times, the, the, the groundwork's been done, right? Like I I've deadlifted a certain amount. I've done this. I've done that. It really isn't that hard to keep those neurological adaptations. People right. overblow that all the time. They do. You know what, what is not easy is coming back from injury. And so that's where it's oh, yeah. like, and you see it a lot with endurance athletes and what have you, they'll just keep going and going and stress fractures. And I'm always surprised. I mean, as you and I are talking, we did a 15 hour road trip 
recently, and and this is coming from a guy, Jim, that if I sit for four hours, like in a road trip, I'll lose it. So to give you a frame of reference of what 15 hours does in my mentality, um, but my mother, you know, had, had been, she was going to turn 69 and she hadn't seen the baby in a very long time. Our baby's six months. I hadn't seen my niece who's 10 months. My brother hadn't seen his nephew, yada, yada, yada. So we drive up to Omaha, Nebraska, 15 hours, drive back down. Well, there was some mistraining in there. I mean, because all the mm-hmm. the hotels we stayed at, their gyms were closed. And I took a kettlebell in the car. I could do some swings, this and that. But when you roll into town at 3 a.m., you know, again, old me may do that. And still new, still me today will to a degree, but you're going to limit it. Sure. But bottom line, I maybe got two days of training in, real training in about four and a half or five. I take a little, uh, I have this sled that is about 12 inches wide that I learned I can pack into my car. And I took a weight plate up there. That's how, you know, I'm kind of psycho and it goes sprint. But the point is, is I came back and last night I was hitting the heavy bag and I just expected to feel like dog crap, whatever. You never really feel as bad as you think you do, but there are so many people out there with exercise or training addictions, even if they don't look at Mm -hmm. it. Cause I think there's a lot of people in our field and other fields that think they have a healthy lifestyle it's really an addiction. It's oh, an man. addiction. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, and, and we have, I have this conversation with people. I feel like once or twice a week, it's like, and, and the more, the more you care about it, it's this thin line between obsession and high achievement. So freaking thin. The, 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 the more accomplished you are as an athlete, um, the more you're towing that line, which sometimes makes the drop off post-career. hundred percent. But I, uh, I, before we go down that road, I think it's important one. I just, I want to throw this out there. There are two things that really resonate from what you just, um, one is the, the, maybe the most obvious from that is we had some student athletes who, once this quarantine hit, we were, we're like, well, there it goes. And how old are they? Just so the audience knows. Um, my, my day job is at a a big high school, neutral high school, wonderful place with wonderful kids. It's a 4,000 person school. Um, so we work with a lot of athletes and, uh, we, we just thought, man, we, we were having a great off season across the board, primed for some spring sports. And all of a sudden, boom, nothing, nothing and nothing concrete to say when or how we'd come back or if we would. So we're trying to train uh, athletes. You know, we, we have train heroic. We're trying to administer programs from afar. We're trying to zoom, motivate people through zoom and kind of doing the best we can. Uh, when we, when some students had access to a barbell, they found, this is crazy, but they found over the first two weeks when we thought they were going to drop off, some of these kids are maintaining or even gaining. And when you think about some of the things that you mentioned, it was the ab, we thought it was going to fall off. It was actually the absence of stressors, I think. Oh. That all of a sudden, these kids are recovering for the first time in, in years. We did, we sent out Google Forms to check on just wellness reports. They're sleeping for eight or nine hours for the first time, I'm telling you, in six, seven years. Mm. Yeah, well, well it, it makes sense because anybody that knows her strength and conditioning history knows that that happened with one of Urkashansky's students or athletes is she was pregnant, right? He wanted to continue the testing and monitoring during that time, you know, to see what the strength decrement would be. She came back after giving birth and blasted it. And yeah, that, and that yeah. was really the birth, double entendre, bad pun of super compensation and, re- and really seeing that. We see it all the time. And, and that's yeah. what I mean. It's a lot of it is just like I, I've talked about this on the episode before. My my father, having been in finance, is he just said, there's no get rich quick. It's compound interest. It's steady. If you got 50 to $100 a week to invest in the market, do it. If you got $5 a day, especially with the apps available now, um, I, use, I use Wealthfront. No, I don't get paid to use that or whatever. But when my dad retired, yeah. we were like, 
like, man, like, you know, I, I'm not going to sit there and pick my own stocks. I don't know enough about trading options here and there. And, and, uh, you know, he'll always do that for us, but he helps my brother run a restaurant, but we just, whatever we can afford, we put into the market and that's compound interest. And then yes, even when there's a huge dip, right? Like there was in March, uh, well, guess what? We're in it for the long game. And I think that's what right. we're talking right. about here with, with training and what have you, no matter what your vocation is, is you got to be in it for the long game and you got to reevaluate what that means. Cause here's the thing. And we are, our, our train heroic programs called adaptable. And that was because one time I had to have a strong come to Jesus with myself of being like, Hey, am I, am I being smart or am I just giving myself an excuse to be soft with my training now? Cause I know I love training. Um, mm-hmm. but again, like just the mental stressors have taken, taken some of that away sometimes where I maybe get three movements in or whatever. And I thought, mm-hmm. no, here's the key. What's the role I'm playing in my life right now? I'm a father, I'm a business owner. And yes, I'm a coach. Well, if that was a movie role, right, what would this character look like? Would this character look like some hulked out dude that is just spending two to three hours in the gym or even just two hours or whatever, just maxing out every day, food prepping, all this stuff? Would Mm -hmm. this dude maybe look like somebody who, you know, is strong, but relatively lean, depending on his somatotype, somebody that also can run to a meeting and run to the mailbox at the same time, and somebody that doesn't hurt when he picks his kid up off the floor. I'm like, yeah, that's what he would look like. And so then I thought, I've started approaching my training now like as if it's a movie role. I'm like, what role am I? Because you see that with actors in transformation. Let's look at Christian Bale, right? Mm-hmm. There's a time in uh, the mechanist or the machinist, however anybody wants to pronounce it. And I'm not sure which one's the right one in that context. But he had to drop, you know, I think 50 pounds. He said he did it basically drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes, you know. But then he had to bulk up to play Batman. Well, right. so now I look at that here is like the role I played at 25 to 30 is very different than the role I play right now in 34. So if my training's the same, I'm a dumb strength coach. Huh? That that's so interesting. I would say that I, I like that metaphor and, and uh, it goes back to that, you know, that, that purpose identification. If you're in a movie role, there's a clear purpose identified. You are this. I think what a lot of people probably are lacking within their training is either I am this or I'm trying to be this. You yeah. Know? Cause they're chasing everybody else. hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. It's funny, and and I'll, and I'll shift immediately to that. I think uh, Instagram and, and social media has been one of the, the biggest sort of blessings for communication, allowing people to stay in contact. But it's also a real problem if you don't have a clear purpose. Yep. Uh, what you want out of your training, it's obviously a, a real problem because of the, because of the comparison effect. It's kind of like, you know, when people blame social media as opposed to a lack of self-awareness or self-restraint, I always compare it to fire, right? Fire is a blessing if it's in your hearth and it's controlled or if you're doing the smoker, right? Uh, Which Mm -hmm. we're going to do today because we have some in-laws in town. Fire, however, uncontrolled is a huge issue. And so I don't think a lot of people understand that it's not the tool. It's the blaze that they let the tool create. Yes. And the landscape of their life is uh, comparative to the social landscape internally and externally. 100%. I'm so, okay. Do you see, um, you see this book? Yeah. Yeah. Lev describe Vygotsky. it, describe it for uh, the audience here. It is Lev Vygotsky thought and language. It's the revised edition. It's fairly new. Vygotsky is a, a psychology educate intersection of psychology, education, thought and language. He, I'm telling you, I, I'm marking it up right now. There's some notes all over the place. Uh, man, I wish I could find it fast. I swear, this is it's so funny that you used that metaphor because he refers to fire in the same way. 
And he told, oh, okay, I found it. If this is too deep, just cut me off at any time. No, you're fine. We have a wide range of listeners, man. People will appreciate it no matter what. Perfect. So he thought, okay, so uh, let's see, properties of water. So think about this. So um, water is, is H2O, hydrogen and oxygen. Hydrogen will put out a fire, or let me think, hydrogen will burn. Hydrogen will burn. Oxygen will fuel a fire. Combined, they make water and, and put it out. But it talks about um, just all these, just essentially like how the way that we name things influences so much of how we see them. So, so like, like you said, fire is not automatically bad. In some cases, fire is, is absolutely good. Instagram, social media, these things, it's not automatically one or the other. It is just like fire tool. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was big on sociocultural, like cognitive development, right. Which is like having a baby right now of like basically saying, you know, and I don't want to oversimplify it, you know, so correct me on whatever part you'd like, but you know, cognitive development of, of children, so to speak, is advanced through their social interactions with people more so than anything else. Right. It's inherent to cognitive development, which pretty hard to argue with when I see my six month old baby boy interact with my brother's 10 month old little girl who is yeah. crawling and doing all these other things autonomously. And he, you know, at six months isn't crawling yet. And he's like rocking back and forth, like getting, getting upset. Cause he wants to do whatever she's doing, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, there, there is a whole hot part of mirror neurons and all that, but you, of course we learn from our experiences and interactions that we're the preeminent social animal on the planet. Yeah, there's no doubt. And it, without a doubt, you learn from, experiences and interactions and then just to sort of catalog all the experiences interactions you have you start to name things and those names take on extra meaning um and i think you got to be careful about how how strict you are with definitions man we could go all day with with that alone especially given this moment in time your experience how your experiences influence the way that you name the world and how eventually that slows down your thinking it's supposed to speed it up but it actually inhibits you and if that's not too abstract um, I mean, we could go down that road. It was Juneteenth yesterday, right? right? You know, any, any sort of ism, you know, racism, et cetera, is sort of based on sort of a flawed, uh, or, or immobile actually to reference your work. You talk about adaptability and improv all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's um, definitely it, learned. I mean, that, that post, 100%. I put up, I put up a post, um, a while back of two little kids, you know, both of different races running towards each other. This stuff oh, is, yeah. this stuff is learned. Um, you know, and my neighbor back in November, October, people can go back into the catalog. I interviewed Greg Baker, uh, one of the first black police officer or police chiefs in the outskirts of, of Chicago, small community there. You know, I just, I went across the street the other day and they have to quarantine pretty heavily because his wife's immunocompromised having been a mm-hmm. breast cancer survivor. And I go, dude, isn't this crazy? And we must have just had a 30, a uh, 30 minute to an hour long discussion about this. And, you know, he's in his sixties. So I just love, I don't have a grandfather. Uh, right. So like a Greg's like a, a grandfather to me in a way. And I just kind of talked to him because, you know, we had a strength coach even reach out and, uh, around that time, well-intentioned, no doubt, but basically said, Hey, you need to do a podcast episode on racism in this industry right now. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. I've already done a podcast on prejudice and racism. We have a diverse audience, right? I've had a lot of women on this. Um, I've, we've had a lot of folks from different nationalities, backgrounds, and we'll continue to do so. That's how I was raised. 
I mean, I, I was a competitive boxer. A boxing gym was the best environment for this, right? Like there was one time where I was in a a Bible study and and whatever anybody's beliefs are their own, that's fine. It's not about this, but I was sitting next to a a Hispanic gentleman who was a former drug dealer, um, a a black guy that was, you know, a young athlete and trying to figure out his way. Um, you know, a, a white guy that, you know, had, didn't have a perfect mirror. And it was like the best I had ran away from like all these spiritual, religious Bible study things in the past. Cause it was like, you went to them in college and everybody was in neatly pressed khakis and bringing brownies and talking about how great their life was. And I couldn't relate to that. And I, I, I went home that night and I'm like, Hey, I think I actually found a group that like, I like after we box and beat the hell out of each other, we talk about some real <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, isn't, if that's not a microcosm of life, I don't know what it is. But anyway, I asked this strength coach, I said, well, listen, if you want to come on and share your story, you know, by all means, and he never responded. And Mm. that's where it gets problematic to me is when these things are learned and people don't want to stand up and and say something or share their story because other people could learn through them. On the other hand, the extreme that scares me is this culture where it's never enough. Right. And I learned that I can do a post, I could do a podcast, I could do this, I could whatever, and it'll never be enough. They were talking about it the other day and an athlete's wife basically made a comment on social media and they talked about this on, on Joe Rogan's podcast saying all lives matter. And then this guy got like the, the athlete got ripped to shreds and it was like, but wait, she wasn't saying like when we're to the point where you're getting in trouble for your spouse saying all lives matter, where if in the 1500s, somebody stood up and go, Hey, all lives matter. People would be like, well, yeah, dummy, you know, (laughs) you know, but now, but now it's like, that even if you didn't have malintent with that, that means something. And we, I think we were kind of prepared for this in S and C, not the racial divide by any means. I'm not talking about that, but like the contempt, because if you say I use conjugate method, or if I say, um, Oh, single leg training is this, or if somebody says anything, man, is our field angry Hmm. and defensive, right? I could say this bottle is green and people are like, well, that depends on the spectrum of light in which you view it. Right. Right. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, I I just think that you're right. It's all this social interaction. And now my whole point of saying that is I think our society is just learning to be mad. They are. They're just learning Mm. to be. And I'm not, this has nothing to do with the race part. This is well before that because the racism thing, we have a right to be mad and pissed off, but everything else is like, everybody's just mad when you're blaming for uh, like, remember when somebody was winning the Heisman and somebody pulled up a tweet from when he was 14, who was it? It was the Oklahoma quarterback. Um, man, my brain's dumping on me, but then people will try to find a fort, a tweet from when he was 14. Are you kidding me? I can't. You know what it is? It's you bring up so many good ideas. The first one I'll say is this within all of this, this great conversation, uh, it does seem to be in reference to your boxing experience. It does seem to be, I'm so excited to be in sports because I do think athletics will play a major role. hundred percent bringing uh, it together. In, yeah. And in, in whatever, you know, it's the great equalizer, you know, we, in whether, uh, I mean, basketball is basketball where I'm at in Chicago, where the project was founded in Boston or down in Haiti, where we've been a few times, but basketball is basketball. Let's start there and we can build out. It's a, it's a fantastic equalizer. You also bring up a, an interesting point that I've heard on your, within your stuff before on your podcast before, um, it, it does feel like, I, I call it the left tackle rule, or I make a comparison to the left tackle. If a left tackle plays uh, 80, 80 uh, plays over the course of an NFL game and he, and he scored and he's got 95% success rate. 
an, a solid A, he's going to lose his job. Yeah. Meaning, meaning the 5%, you know, if he, if he gets beat for a sack four times, the guy that beat him, you know, the guy that's at a 5% success rate is going to the pro bowl. That tackle might lose his job. Yeah. I worry that sometimes on social media, and maybe it's polar because some people are really moving toward like, let's find the positives in all of this. But then there's also a very real uh, and massive, to your point, handful of, of uh, folks who, who feel, it feels like they're just looking to poke oh, well that, they're that's, looking for the 5%. Yeah. I mean, listen, even when people listen to this podcast, they'll do it. And, and that's what I've, that's what concerns me. We put it out on our newsletter on art of coaching. I do a bi-monthly newsletter. I'm, I'm scared that we're turning, we're creating a society that, and this is a broad spectrum statement that is turning haters into heroes. Because when you can have anonymous people who reach out and say, these people with these platforms are never doing enough and they're never doing this and look at what this, yet they're not doing anything, right? Like it's this race to an impossible level of moral purity that doesn't exist. And people, I I talked about this in an article, it's called schadenfreude. People Mm -hmm. are wired inherently to see others that have a certain platform in life or a certain level of threatening success or just anything. It doesn't even have to be success. Just some, you might have a t-shirt I want. They want to see these people fail. Look it up. It's tremendous research. Um, It's very interesting. And it goes into the posterior cingulate cortex where we're so quick to make judgments, but that's what concerns me because there will be somebody that reaches out and says, you're not doing enough. And it's like, Hey man, I've done an Instagram post. We've had podcasts. We've had very frank discussions. Who are you? And at what point does somebody turn on these people and say, you guys are the extremists. You're the ones trying to make everybody angry. I mean, you read the headlines, right? Like I have a friend whose husband is in SWAT. I support the thin blue line, but I also worked with Colin Kaepernick for two years and had a great experience with cap. Great experience. And I, I don't think these things are divergent. What people are missing is this is absolutist extremists and crazy people versus people, the rest right? It's, you're so right. And, and what I think what I'm afraid of is that if you, if you, if you go too far to one pole or other, you start to limit the platform of the people who actually have something really good and legitimate to say. Yeah. There is like the civil unrest going on right now. It, it almost should happen. I was talking to a good friend of mine. We were talking when, when uh, things first sort of kicked off um, with the writing and it was like, you know, again, metaphors, it was, well, a, a, a protest is like a conversation, a sit in. This is, this is uh, the physical manifestation of a conversation. We have something to say, not being hurt. So we're going to do something physical. A riot is like a, is a yell, you know, a riot, you know, it's like, you have, we haven't been listening for so long. Let's, let's pick up our voices and yell this. Uh, the person I talked to, I won't name this person, but, um, um, he lives on the South side of Chicago and he's seen a lot of things firsthand. He says, well, if a protest is a conversation and a riot is a yell, then, then looting and, and beating and hurting people. Well, that's just crime. That's yeah, different. A hundred percent. And, and, and I think the, infor- and, and it's almost, and, and like, I might get backlash just for saying that because like, you know, the, the, I, in my opinion, the rioting is understandable. We have, a, there's no, I'm, I'm in Chicago, the, the racial divide, there's a lack of racial equity, the way, you know, people are not all treated the same. And there's so, we, I mean, that could be, that could be uh, eight podcasts simultaneously. We wouldn't get to the root of it, but, but it's true. And there are things that need to change. However, if we go to either poll, we start to distract from that really important idea. 
Well, I mean, to go within that, to complement that, there's people that even though we didn't even plan on going here with our conversation, there would be people that would be like, hey, it's great that you're talking about this, but neither one of you are black, so it doesn't matter. And it would be like, wait, wait a minute, like we're having an organic conversation. This, this podcast right. isn't scripted. And if you want that, there's plenty of other, you know, things that we've done that have talked about those things, but like, at what point can't we just be happy with trying to make progress into this whole podcast was started to talk about leadership stuff. That's often swept under the rug. Cause I got yeah. tired of being on shows that were like, Hey, 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 what's your definition of agility? <laughs> hey, right, what, right, right. What, 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 six by four or four by six. Hey, hey, hey. You know, and I was just right. like, no, like we needed to go somewhere. But this is why, and, and I will plug it. I don't care. This is why, and I'd love for you to come to one. Like we started the apprenticeship communication right. workshop because it was just like, first, like, again, there's people that are scared of failure. There are people that are scared of this. There's people scared of other races. There's people scared of all these things. And it's because here's the funny thing. Who gets trained in how to communicate and in, in life's di- most difficult scenarios who mm-hmm. we, we practice training under constraints. We practice all kinds of things. Uh, and martial arts has it. The military has it. Medical field has it, but nobody practices who receives communication training. And right mm-hmm. now, is there a better time in history for people to not come together and work on that? And we do it through some lighthearted kind of comedic kind of whose line is it anyway stuff. But sure. then, but then we inject the real shit. You know what I mean? We inject like, it just bugs me out. Then people are like, Nope, I'm good enough at communicating. None of us are. That's why this shit is happening. Dude. Communication is a life's work. No doubt. And I, and, and to both points, I think, um, I think the only real shame. So to be clear, neither one of us, as, as far as I'm hearing you, and I know this is true for me, we're not speaking on behalf of anyone. We're only no. talking about our own experiences. Yeah. And I think the real shame would be, uh, the worst thing that could happen right now is that you shut down conversation. This, you know, we should, everyone should be involved, recognize their part, of course, you know, um, I don't have much to, you know, to say on particle phys- physics, but I kind of know what it is. So, you know what I mean? I, I'll bring it to the table. I can't, but oh, shit, we're so going in people. now we're going in, Tell, yeah. we're going in now when we're talking about particle physics, no, I, I just, as an example, you know, I, I yeah, know yeah. enough to know that I, do, I don't have enough experience to be an expert on it, but I still want to be your voicing. Yeah. Well, and this is what I wanted to ask you, right? This is the first, I guess, official question. Uh, and this is, this is already on the way of becoming one of my top 10 favorite episodes, just from the conversational nature, by the way. So you're doing, it's phenomenal having somebody that just enjoys, I can't wait till we can have like a meal together or a glass of wine or whatever. But, um, so there was an, uh, we were, we were having a discussion that, you know, a friend of mine was saying there was obviously some stuff in the news about, you know, professionals in a wide variety of fields getting in trouble. Right. And I said, well, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes I wonder if, you know, especially in strength and conditioning, we talk about, uh, we did an episode called the sin of self-promotion because I don't know how you were brought up in the field, but I was brought up that you don't have a brand. You shut your mouth. Strength coaches should be heard, not seen. But here's the thing. Let's say a strength coach gets accused of something. And let's say that they're, whether they're guilty or not is not for us to say, but let's say in, in this mock scenario, they're not right. They didn't say these things out of context. They didn't mean it like that, whatever. But this strength coach is somebody that's very insular, right? They're, they're maybe known in their community, they're known at their place of business or school or whatever that is, but they don't believe in having a brand, right? They're the old guard. What I was brought up under the old guard. I actually think, and what I want to know is if you agree and if not, why? And if, if yes, I actually think our fields lack of a willingness to have a brand, meaning be a part of the conversation, put your mm-hmm. thoughts out there more frequently in public forums, 
hurts that person because then where's the benefit of the doubt ever come from, right? Like the people in this organization may know he or she is a great person. They would have never said that this story is getting blown up, but nobody else knows that because their thoughts are not on record. Now that can work both ways. People could go back into these podcasts and I'm pretty unfiltered. Anybody, especially with deep fakes today, I'm sure somebody could make a deep fake that makes it sound like I'm good Lord in the future. They probably will. That's really terrifying technology, by the way. Um, they made Jay Z rap Shakespeare. I don't know what they could do with me. Um, so again, if you're listening to this in the future, please give me the benefit of the doubt that it was probably a deep fake. If somebody said something really bad, but I just think that like, if you had a body of work that shows your clear thoughts or opinions on something, you'd be better off to a degree. Don't you? I, I definitely do. And I think, um, I, you know, what the three things that we look for, I know you have standards as you hire the three things that we look for are initiative, creativity, and follow through mm, I like the that. first three. And then we go immediately to, and once we can sort of guarantee those things, then we talked about adaptability, but, but one of the reasons that we put initiative first is because you can't get feedback on an idea or a training method or whatever it might be that never sees the light of day. Perfect. I mean, done is better than perfect many times. Uh, 100%. And that's, uh, you mentioned fear a couple of times. I think what we find is people often don't because they're afraid of feedback. Well, if there's trust within an organization or within a field, and, and we can somehow, we can start tamping down all that, all the criticism um, and, and make it more communicative and, and optimistic, then, holy, then the field will take a massive jump forward. Instead of putting stuff forward, that says like, look how right I am. It could, if we imagine if we did this, you know, you, you write about what you're doing. You, you share your programs with the world. You say, here's what we saw. Here's where we thought it was successful. What does everyone else think? If we could just break that open, yeah. I think we'd be way farther down the line. To your point, uh, to answer it very directly, I mean, we're on the exact same page. There is not someone who, everyone within, like I said, my day job at Nutrier, within the Good Athlete Project, anything I'm involved in, we ask people to compete, so they know what competing is like, Yeah. Um, you know, still even, you know, and whatever it is, it could be best time in a 5k, it could be a powerless, whatever it is. We also have everybody write. You have to, you have to write for sake of publication. Um, it could be like, you know, something very short, it could be 800 word op-ed on whatever yeah. it is. But to that same point, we, we're just trying to break down the barrier of sharing. So it doesn't have to be some super in-depth research article that's perfectly crafted and all that. Just get them writing. Could be a simple yeah, blog. Get them with Exactly. We had, we, I'm trying to think we had one person, I'll, I'll pick the three recent ones. We had one person, uh, write fairly, it was pretty well researched. It wouldn't qualify as peer reviewed, you know, journal, yeah, white paper, but, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, on blood flow restriction. And, and he really dug into it cause he liked it. We had another, uh, another guy just, wrote and published something on, um, we talked about just essentially the balance of stress and recovery and, and, and how essential challenge was to, um, any setting. And he talked about how, when bees go up into space, have you heard this before? No. When, when they brought, uh, bees up in, on, on a shuttle mission one time, killer bees, uh, hopefully. Uh, they weren't killed. No, just, just the homie, doing, the homie honeybees, the one that just, hang just, out. just the honeybees. And they, and I think they were, they, they were like dying off. And they were dying off because without the gravity, you know, usually their, their wings are going like, I don't know, super fast. All right, the time. Yeah. They depend on the challenge of being pulled back down. Ah, I love that. Build, you know what I'm saying? So he wrote about that. Another one of our coaches. I'll Send that to honest. me. I can't wait. We'll put that in our podcast group. And uh, sure. yeah, if any, we might share that on our newsletter too. That's cool.
Hey, just a quick touch point here. I know you guys are always looking for more resources and learning and, and ways to continue to advance everything that you're doing. We have those. We have tons of free resources for you at artofcoaching.com. Whether you are looking for a mentor, whether you want a reading list of, of certain books that are my favorite, especially if you're a coach or physical therapist just getting into the field. If you're somebody that you know wants a simple communication field guide, so you and your staff can work on certain communication strategies and processes together. If you want a free downloadable chapter of my book, if you want any of these things, you can always find them at artofcoaching.com. Just go to the free resources tab. They're there in abundance. We also have a YouTube channel. We have so many different ways you can learn, all right? So make sure that you're taking advantage of these. We're going to keep them coming. All right, back to Jim. I think it's cool stuff. And, and then but to, and, and then really to get back to your idea, it's like, um, yeah, you, you got to do, you got to put it out there. You have to, I think, you have to invent, you have to think closely about the things that you're thinking about and not be afraid to share those ideas. Yeah. And, and I'll be the first to admit, like, I understand if there's people listening, the hesitancy to do that. I mean, but there's so many mediums. Like, so for example, you know, I, I obviously wrote a book, but I don't really like writing. And mainly because with, through conversation, my, my thoughts flow a lot more freely. There's a lot of people that say writing forces clarity, couldn't agree more, but for me, so does social interaction. And there's some things that I'm going to, mm -hmm. I'm going to speak that never would have come from my hand. Right. And that's why even when I do write, it has to be some things that I've already spoken out and what have you. But, you know, Instagram for me was always like, oh, wow, I, I never wanted the pressure of doing a blog because in our field, people expect everything you write to be so, I mean, look at conscious coaching, right? I did in-text citations for a book because that was a prime right. example of where I felt that pressure, um, mainly right. because there were so many people that wanted to make it sound like communication wasn't a science. But um, when, when Instagram came about, I was like, interesting, it can only be done from the phone. So there's not this expectation that you're going to write like Proust, right? Like, um, and I can do brief things. So Instagram was basically just a block for me, you know, now the podcast was a way for me to, this is my preferred medium, right? Being able to, to chat as opposed to live. And we do a lot of work on this too. There's great research that shows different mediums and the effect they have on interpersonal connection, trust, and buy-in. And it's not always as straightforward as you think. Most people would think, hey, face-to-face -face always wins, but that depends. So what we have is we have a communication pyramid internally for Art of Coaching that says, hey, for these situations, whether it's a staff update, whether it's an internal conflict, whether it's uh, a dealing with a customer complaint, uh, whatever this is, we have a medium that is most appropriate for that. And we yeah. teach this at the apprenticeship as well, we go through eight components of communication that the research says matter. There's, of course, like the interlocutors or the people communicating. In this case, it's you and me, right? We're the, we're the people. And, and not just you and me, like everything about us, right? You're 36. I'm 34. Where are you from originally? Chicago. Chicago, right? So I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. We have a Midwestern connection. There's all these things that when people ask, how do I build buy-in? You know, on a simplistic way, I say research, relate, and reframe. But on that mm -hmm. research part is knowing everything about the two people communicating. But mm -hmm. then there's the medium. Then there's the channel. Then there's the context, which is the situation, circumstances, and setting in which communication happens. Mm -hmm. There's the code of meaning, right? Like, could I flash you a gesture right now, like a thumbs up? You know what that means, non-verbally or paraverbally if I were to, but in another culture that means something else. So right. the point being, there's so many different ways communication can break down, but we don't look at those asymmetries where if I watch you squat, Jim, and I see a subpar squat, like for me, you would see that right now. Cause 
my ankles are tight. My calves are stiff right now. You're going to see a lot of bending for it at the waist if I was going to do it cold. But we have progressions and regressions for that. But mm-hmm. we haven't created that for the interpersonal process, right? We haven't mm-hmm. said, man, Jim and I got off on a raw start here. Uh, we weren't on the same page and whatever. And I'm making that up, of course. You've done wonderfully. Sure. Uh, what could we have done? Um, right, right, right. And, and I wanted to ask you, with, within you working with high school kids, and we've talked about Vygotsky and everything, where do mm-hmm. you see, and it's okay to pontificate here, right? I'm not asking you to psychodiagnose. Yeah. Where do you see some of the earliest social breakdowns that you think, ah, that's concerning that, that, you know, that that kind of interactions taking place or that lack of self-awareness, where do you start to see most social breakdowns occur with high school kids? Aside from a lack of self-awareness and a lack of confidence, do you find, and I'll guide you here because I'm I'm giving you a broad category. I I, I like it. I, I really like this question actually. So because I, there's, I'm thinking of a thousand ways. What would be most useful? Just start, start with any of them. It's okay to talk your way through it. It'll give somebody an idea. Well, I think, you know, even, um, well, in in this moment in time, I'm thinking back, well, okay. So when you and I were teenagers, we didn't have to deal with social media. So the cues were more clear, but they were also, I'm thinking about this Omaha and Chicago, you, you gain cues, like what this means, you know, thumbs up means and what, what, what a smile means and all those things from the people around you and they have different meaning for the people around you. I wonder if in the social media atmosphere, that's a, that's a bigger and taller task, meaning it's not super clear always um, what to do. And I think that's why TikTok is a thing because if, you know, if, if likes are the new currency follows is the new currency, instead of, you know, if, if you're running around the block, you make a friend, spend time together, that used to be the validation uh, if likes the new currency, then all of a sudden a TikTok dance in your bikini or, or with shirtless and for the guys, uh, you know, th- that really starts to throw people off. Well, what so about I, the people I, that aren't on social media? Because here's the thing. We do, we do talk a lot about social media, but there's yeah. just as many coaches, people, leaders, educators, high school kids, whatever, that maybe aren't active on social media, but they still yeah. don't have a healthy way of seeking validation. I think that would be an interesting turn. What are unhealthy, what are unhealthy ways that people that do not engage on social media seek validation in today's day and age? I know one well, is, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just saying that's such a really it's a really good point because I'm kind of uh, criticizing TikTok and things like that, the likes. But but the truth is the currency of your environment, um, you know, if, if you are a coach sort of rewarding the wrong things. Certifications, um, maybe. Yeah, I think in our field, I think in our field, like a lot of that certifications and and this never ending chase of alphabet soup behind your name and and whatever. I think also people trying to um, just talk about the organizations that they work for using that yeah. as a blanket of like, well, I'm a, I'm a, right. We see this a lot if somebody and it's no different in lawyers if they get to a big law firm, just like a, a strength coach gets to a a big school or what have you. They tend to use that as a way to kind of commoditize themselves. Uh, yeah. Where else do they yeah, seek? Totally. Strength numbers, maybe the forty straight number, right? There, yeah. There's also the yeah the, the way it's interesting. I so I when you the question how did you know where are the initial breakdowns? Um, I think more often than not, this is going to sound stupid, but I think just people are people, and we respond to validation and critique. So it's it's the environment that people are are in is that that's what you know you're always looking out and trying to figure out uh, who you are based on the feedback you're getting from your environment. So that's yeah. why, that's why the work that we that we try to do is I, I believe so essential because we're really just trying to help people craft, uh, environments. Uh, I, I, I got to bring this up. So 
it, it all kind of fits together. You mentioned the Zoom stuff. Uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett is uh, an advisor to the Good Athlete Project. She's a wonderful person. She um, she wrote a book called How Emotions Are Made, and it, you, you're reminding me of you know communication breakdown in um, like facial expressions. Her work, man, it's so interesting. I could never sum it up in a quick thirty seconds, but it essentially, it's this idea that um, there, there there just might be a flaw in the way that we perceive emotions in others. Oh, without a and, doubt. Uh, you, you like like a smile. Like, what does a smile mean? Yeah. Um, what does you know? And even if you if you just took a moment and wrestled with that question, what does a smile mean? The truth is, you you have no idea. No, because it can mean something devious, deceitful. We see people that um, there was a great, it was a comedic thing of showing the face we all make once we're done recording on camera, right? So if somebody does do a social media post and they're like, hey guys, Amber here with your tip of the day. And then once right. once they hit stop, they go from like this, I'm right now, if you guys can't see me, obviously, but I have this big, cheesy, you know, fake uh, smile on my face. And then the minute they hit stop, they go, mm. And it just goes right back to right. it. <laughs> right. Well, it's right. So she actually brings up in her research, uh, 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 Paralympic swimmers. She's using a, a case study of Paralympic swimmers who on the platform, I, I don't know who it was. I don't think they name it, but the person, but uh, they're getting their, a gold medal and they're up on the platform and they're ear to ear smiles and waving to the crowd. But, but these people are blind in this, mm. in this specific event. So they're blind. Uh, they're, they just want a gold medal waving to the crowd. As soon as they get behind the podium, the smile goes away. Yeah. It's Irving Goffman impression management. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Irving yeah. Goffman talks about, you know, and this was a Shakespeare thing. Like we're all actors on a stage. And it right. talks about how there really is no authentic self. We're all an amalgamation of the social examples we learn. And Everybody without a doubt. So in, in my online course valued, we do a whole section on this called impre it's called impression management. And it's right. not, it's not bad or it's not good. It just is. Again, it's another tool like fire or physics or anything totally. else. But yeah, hundred per every single person engages in impression management to some degree based on the social context. Oh, I I totally agree. And and then and this is ultimately getting back to that. Where does the breakdown happen? You know, I think it's it's the interpretation of the impressions that other people are, that that's number one, I think. It's a great point. Uh, we're not you know, we're not taught how to interpret emotions and expressions. Instead, we internalize them based on how we feel at the moment. If you send me an email 100%. and I'm pissed off, no matter what that email was about, I'm gonna mm -hmm. let's say you were you were just given feedback on something and I'm mad. Well, I'm gonna read that email and think that you're coming at me with it. And instead of let's say I just won the lottery and I read your email, I'm gonna be like, oh. Yeah, it's a great idea. Of course it is. I just got 30 million in the bank. <laughs> no doubt. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that is, and it's funny that you say that, and then I'll, I'll bring this to, you just touched on something that we're really passionate <laughs> about, but that, uh, yeah, I, I could go all day. With it's the, all right. The, it's the, good. Uh, you're going to, you're coming the, to it. By the way, I am going to comp you for any apprenticeship you want to come to. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the, and that's dude, that's, that's an eight ninety nine value and you know, two, yeah. but like the point is you're bringing up such great points of things that we talk about that we would get so much value from you just coming and I think you'd really enjoy it. Um, we have one July 25th and 26th in Charleston. So get your butt there, but anyone, anyone you want to go to, but yeah, keep going. But that's the least I can do for you as a guest that's passionate about this. I, I appreciate that, man. I really do. I look forward. I, I, I accept, uh, via podcast. Cool. I, I will definitely be joining at some point. The, um, uh, the, the idea to go back to, um, email where, where some of those breakdowns happen. Yeah. 
you know, this, this swimmer, this pair of blind Paralympic swimmer who put on a big smile because he was sort of a learned social thing, but then went behind the podium and the smile just immediately fell off. The assumption this from Lisa's work is like that person was no less happy than they were before. Yeah. Uh, but, but they just, they didn't feel the need to put on sort of like to signal that to other no, people. Oh, you do that all the time. Let's say way. if you go to your grandparents' house and you eat something they made and it's not that good, you know, I know we all have cold, right. like, I know we all have great feelings about grandma's cookies or like my grandma used to make, she was uh, German in heritage. She would make goulash and it was, uh, but there were some things that it, it doesn't have to be your grandma, right? I have to get away from anybody that's like, well, uh, it could be anybody, but they make something. You're going to be like, oh, that's good. Right. And even if you don't mean it and it's a white lie, but that mm. that's, I think that's a great theme for this episode. And I know it's a big part of a project I'm working on is greatness is in the gray area sometimes, right? Like what we're seeing is it's getting very scary with the black and white thing in terms of what side of the fence you sit on. And that that's not a race metaphor. I mean, the absolute, the extremists or the whatever is, can we come back to the gray area? We always used to joke that the Midwest was a great filter for the craziness that exists on all the coasts in the United States. And guys, this is playful. So if you're a hardcore person on the East coast or down, don't get offended, right? Like, yeah, but we always used to say, Hey, there's vanity on the, the West coast. And yes, we know there's vanity everywhere. Again, this is playful. There's vanity on the West coast. I felt like the East coast is this hyper stressed out. Go, go, go down South. You have some lovely people, but you can also have some radicals, you know, up North, the farthest North, you have some weirdos. Yeah. I'm talking about my North Dakotans. In the woods. Yeah. That's just, right. and again, just messing with them in the Midwest. Yeah. We were always kind of just the folks that would shake your hand, uh, but still punch you in the face. If you offended someone, if it came down to it, that's <laughs> you know, right. And, that's uh, but I just, I wish we would get back to this gray area because I think that's where fantastic leaders can be born. Without a doubt. And, and um, you know, we are, our, our brains are efficiency, they run on efficiency. So batch processing is something that we do all the time. That's understandable. But the truth is always going to be in the nuance. And, and that is, uh, there's an Emerson quote, not to get. No, please. Quotey, but, uh, and I'm not even going to get it right probably, but, but uh, essentially something about like truth is the essence of being truth is like, like that's the pinnacle of being. And then justice is the application of it to one's affairs. But repeat repeat it one more time for the people that are listening. And I may not have it right. It's fine. It's fine. They get it. They can look it up. So truth is the essence of being that's the pinnacle. Yep. Justice is the application of it to one's affairs. Interesting. So, and, 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 uh, which, which makes, uh, kind of, this does sort of involve a lot of things that we were talking about. Where does Batman fit on that spectrum then? Why would that, that's a podcast of its own, uh, (laughs) because (laughs) I mean, it's so, it's, it's so hard. The hard part, you know, we, we call for justice. We call for all these things that we should, but the difficult part is like digging through the nuance to find the truth Yeah. so that we can take that and then, and then apply it. Um, to, to batch process too strictly, to not look for, not sift through the gray area for the, like the nuances of experience and communication. All of that would essentially, you'd almost create absolutely a situation where truth was unidentifiable. You, you then move to one of the poles. Yep. And then the application of the concepts at one pole or other to the world, that's obviously wrong. Well, and that's what drives me, that's what drives me nuts is we talk about system one versus system two thinking to use economism. And like Mm -hmm. you said, our, our focus, and I liken it to healthcare, right? Where healthcare is so reactive instead of being preventative. Well, people think that if you just identify these two systems and, oh, if we could just get people to think more rationally, 
No, it, it, you know what? It's actually okay to make judgments. I'll say that. What's yeah. not okay is not to be self-aware about where they come from and work on. And why I say it's okay to make judgments is because it's just natural. If I see something that, like an animal that looks threatening, at one point in time, that saved us, right? Like, holy right. shit, is that a saber-toothed tiger? Now, because we don't have those threats, uh, unfortunately, we inappropriately place judgments. But you're not going to be able to rip that out of the human DNA. What you need to do is educate them on being aware of your own bias. And that's why we videotape people at our apprenticeships is biases and things like that are, and judgments are going to happen. Emotions are going to happen. We just want to train you to aim them more appropriately instead mm -hmm. of illogically. But I just, I feel like we have this idea that, and you know, a friend of mine uh, named Pratik Patel, uh, at the time of this recording, he's with the New York Giants. He had made a statement recently because I, I think LeBron's, uh, uh, I don't think he's a dietitian. Let's just say LeBron's trainer. I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Made a comment about, you know, something that he does with LeBron supplementation. It's not worth going into. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden there's this Twitter thread of a million RDs being like, what an idiot. Can't believe he said that. Right. This is inappropriate. This is, and sure, is what this guy said correct? No, not in terms of, you know, the true scientific context and what have you. And I don't know him and I don't know LeBron and I'm not getting into that. But like, what upset me is like, on one end, all these RDs had a point to be mad, right? It's how we feel when somebody's like, hey, want an intense workout? And it's like 500 burpees and whatever. Right, right. But at the other point, listen, LeBron doesn't give a shit what these people are saying. And what they're not understanding is for LeBron, whatever his perception is and whatever he's talking about here works for him in a way. So like, why are we creating these spectral divides? Yes, in an ideal world, Everybody would abide by what the research states and shows and proper vernacular and terminology. Um, and, and there's certain people that trust charlatans. And again, I don't know LeBron's guy. I'm not claiming he's a charlatan. I could care less about right. that. But what I'm saying is, what if we had this space? Could you imagine where people that had sound knowledge and practices also knew how to relate and build trust? I, I mean, that's why I named my book Conscious Coaching as I was saying Nobody like you think LeBron or his trainer or anybody else is going to read those hundreds of tweets of Matt RDs and be like, you know what? Oh my right. God, they're right. <laughs> you're just wasting your doubt. life trying to be right. Well, isn't that you're, you're so that's your spot on. And, and I think, and, and where I would try to distill all of that is like, it's what I think is the, the anger and the emotion takes over. And maybe those RDs, um, are, are may, maybe, and I'm going to go ahead and give them the benefit of the doubt real quick. Maybe they just don't have a clear enough purpose because if their purpose as a, as a dietitian is to help people get healthier, you know, to use nutrition to, you know, help enhance lives, then, then calling people out on Twitter uh, probably isn't the way. No, but it's there. easy, right? That's the thing. No, it's is it's, easy. And that goes back to what you were talking about with initiative, creativity, and follow through. Um, yeah. People will waste their life trying to be right, so they'll go to the easiest thing. Just like the body with asymmetries will always go the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance for many of these experts or social justice warriors or trolls or anything else is to tweet. It's to tweet, and, and tweet is a is a metaphorical term for whatever the easy path totally, is 20, whatever, right. Right, 20 years back in the day, right? It was like these, it's just today's version of witch hunts, what it's going to be tomorrow. Who knows? Um, but it's like, the, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, you're, you're exactly right. And, and yeah, and we're, 
we're not using, we're using tweet as sort of a concept, but it makes sense. There was a, there's a couple of things this reminds me of. One of them is um, one of my old bosses, Randy Obram, to mentor of mine, one of the, maybe one of the greatest human beings on earth working in sports. I love him. Um, he, he essentially said in, in, in a very patient and calm way, and this is a former football player and coach who moved into administration. It's very calm. He said, he sat behind his desk. Anyone knows him would recognize this. He just said, you know, he took a pause. He was like, you know, anyone out there can tell you it's raining, but there are not enough people that are, that are going to get an umbrella or building a shelter. Sure. Just like matches whatever. in the dark. Nobody wants to light them. They just want to, you know, yeah. Complain that it's they so can't see. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it, it, you're right. It's easier. And you get immediate confirmation. If you say, oh man, it's raining in, in this metaphor, calling out a problem, you're going to get a lot of people saying, yeah, that's right. It is raining. Well, and it's a lack of, it's a lack of skin in the game. Right. And we've talked about this on other podcasts too, because I used to be guilty of it. I would, you know, before I was on social media or I'd put anything out into the world, it was very easy for me to criticize things. And then, you sure. know, when I did start to put a book out in the world that people can judge and do whatever they want, uh, examples of my programming are out there, right? We have an online training program with Train Heroic that anybody can join anytime. Uh, so, do you, and I know you work with them as well. I have blog articles, podcasts, people can judge whatever they want. And that's why, you know, but growth happens from that, right? So when we put out a book, like Conscious Coaching was a great example of, we wanted to make it science-based enough that it showed that we had done our research, but not so science-y that nobody would want to read it. And you know what? While that may have pissed off some PhD that's mad that I didn't use this one, like we had one guy that got so mad at the term buy-in, so mad. I mean, it was his life's work to just- Uh, the, the way they phrase it is buy-in and they wrote a whole article about it. Buy-in is basically a phrase that will destroy the industry. It insinuates that we're salesmen and whatever. And I'm like, Oh Lord, buddy, you know, it's a word that is used the world over and everybody knows, you know, what that means when they look at it, right? Like buy-in is trust plus commitment is how we define it Mm -hmm. as opposed to like compliance or what have you. And Right. But the point is, is they got so mad. They're like, this should just be called trust. And, you know, even a friend of mine, I, I, I love him, Dave Tenney. I remember one time we were on a panel together and he used the term buy and he's like, if you want to use that word. And yeah, Dave, I'm looking at you. I caught that eye roll. Um, now, mm. Dave didn't mean anything about it. He, he's sure. a huge supporter. But what this becomes is a term hits. And then it becomes more popular. And then there are certain people that try to use it unethically. But why are we not pointing at the like, okay, well, that's unethical people that aren't using the context. Don't demonize the term. But that's mm-hmm. the thing. I mean, these RDs say, oh, we hate the word clean, just like strength coaches hate the words lean and tone. Just guys, it exists everywhere, but you're wasting your life. You're wasting right. your life. Like if you put what you realize, what you have to realize if you want to affect change, what I'm getting at here is you have yeah. to find a blend of the other person's language and your information, right? That's what we call in conscious coaching is content and relation oriented communication. Content mm-hmm. is the message itself right? It, it is saying you are Jim Davis. This is what, right? Relation is how you wrap it. Is it in a metaphor, a simile? I'm not going to spend hours telling an athlete that it's not lactic acid that they're feeling, that it's really right. hydrogen ions. And guess what? Uh, through py- it can be converted into pyruvate. They don't care right mm-hmm. now. If they do care, the time to explain that's after a session, not on Twitter. Shut up. Right. People are so in love with their opinions. Then guess what? Put them out there. When people want to right. criticize, I go, great, then write a book or make, you know, do, do something that right. requires effort. That's going to be a solution. Yeah, you're right. And that actually, that kind of is a really good point in this moment in time. 
Um, because I, I don't know, I, I think probably you've been going through a lot of this. We certainly have. What is our business model? We are, by the way, we're a nonprofit organization, so we don't have a, a business model in a true sense. But I say that you brought up uh, Kahneman before. I think we're all in business and we're all economists 100%. to some degree. So our, our, our thought process was it's all product consumer distribution. You know, and, and when the quarantine hit, our product didn't change, you know, education, training programs. Yep. Consumer didn't change, although their needs might have a little bit yeah. uh, because they were home. They didn't, they didn't act, and, but the real challenge was distribution. How do we then, how do we get That's this to point. people from afar? And, and what you were just talking about is a, is a really important component of it because how you wrap it, you, like, you know, you, this idea of being right. I can't tell you how many locker rooms I've been in, um, whether, you know, and, and I won't get any more specific than that, but like, or just conversations even that I've been in where people are like, well, I sent them an email. I told them what they, what they had, you know, they've essentially been right. I gave them the information. Well, if the person that you sent the information to didn't access it, didn't understand it, you know, you gave them an eight, maybe you gave them an eight, um, the equivalent of an eight page email, whatever it might've been. If they didn't, for whatever context you mentioned, uh, if they did, if they weren't able to access information, then there was something off with the delivery. Yeah. It's just as simple as that. And, and it's not about being right. It's about being successful and adaptable and includes and adaptable and it's success. Absolutely. To be successful, you have to be adaptable. In fact, if I could go I'll give you one of our metaphors. Please. I love that you like metaphors because so do I. I actually, um, I don't know if I put this in my bio, but uh, my first graduate degree was poetry. Yeah, in your bio, we talk about how yeah. you're a poet and a painter, I, Bob Ross style. We, we, <laughs> exclusively Bob Ross. Exclusively Bob yeah. Ross inspired paintings. You actually oh, put on the nice. fro that Bob Ross had prior to painting at your easel. That's true. Listen, uh, I, I feel very fortunate. I was supported by a lot of people. I had a lot of palette knives. I think it's awesome. So, but I, but I do love a good metaphor. And, and one of the big ones that we use is, and it really just matches uh, the work that you do very well. I think that's why I was attracted to your style of thinking in the first place was we call it uh, the anchor and tether method. Mm. And um, essentially it is it, to anchor a process or anchor a concept in something that is well-researched, um, thought out a blend of experience and, and research and, and application. Also, to really anchor it on something solid that you believe in is essential. Yeah. Some people are missing on the anchor side of things. Yep. But then the tether part is like if you can imagine throwing an anchor into the water, the tether is the rope, which can be let out or brought in based on context, based on skill set, based on whatever uh, it might be in a given situation. But to not understand that sort of both of those are at play. I think that's, I don't know what you've seen, but, but that's a mistake. You know, so we have some people who can be incredibly creative and adaptable, but aren't solidly anchored to a place. Yeah, that and, they're and, just, and then there's obviously the inverse. That and they're not discerners. They don't seek to understand. Like I said, somebody could take any clip they want from this podcast and take three seconds, five seconds, 12 seconds, splice, whatever together and make it sound like we had the most offensive, socially deaf conversation ever when it was in fact the opposite right and uh, and so you actually yeah for anchoring and tethering and a lot of that it fits hand in hand with discerning and relating i mean listen it's been the whole theme of this wrapped in a package right wasting your life trying to be right not being adaptable is what we talked about the beginning with your training 
Are we stuck in our training because we're playing the wrong role? Are we not listening to the, the voices of social activism in a complete way and understanding what's really going on here? Mm. Are we not wrapping our messaging and our content with uh, our athletes, clients, customers, whatever that is? Are we not doing all these things? It all comes down to being adaptable, relatable, mm -hmm. and using anchoring and tethering responsibly and appropriately. And, and that's just, I mean, again, it's, it's why I thought you were perfect to, to have on this show. And I can't tell you again enough how I appreciate your patience. You were totally understanding. You'd be surprised, man. There's some times where we have to reschedule a guest and they get really angry. You know, we had, we had one guy that was kind of like, Hey, you know, it's harder to, it's harder to get on your schedule than it was, you know, one of the president's kids and what have you. And, and I said, listen, I mean, and then they compared, it was also hard to get on the schedule harder than Dana White. Cause they had interviewed Dana White and they meant it playfully, but I said, sure. well, listen, here's the thing. Those people have a little bit more help than I do. I'm, I'm, hmm. I'm a dad with a company of four people, one of which is my wife doing the best I can during a pandemic, you know, with all these other things. Yeah. All these other people have a lot of people that I'm not saying their lives are easy. They're not, but they have other people that can get those things out of the way. But we do have some people that just get angry and it's like, Hey, like, but you were super, you, you were great about it. You came with such great stories and it would behoove me if I didn't give you an opportunity. And I want to, I want you to now anchor and tether and tell us a little bit about the good athlete project and how our listeners can help support what you guys are doing. Cause as somebody that's a part of a nonprofit myself with movement to be, we need to get involved with these things. So go. Well, I appreciate that, man. I think I, I have to build on your comments and that'll be the line that takes us into the project. Maybe. Yeah. Um, what, well, or maybe I'll do that slightly uh, in the opposite direction. We work with a lot of, we do team workshops, professional development workshops, and with a very small handful of partners in depth consultation. Um, so we, we essentially go through the deep thought work with people to develop uh, schemes and create cultures that fit their context and their environment and their needs. It's been effective and powerful, and I'll talk more about it in a second. But one of the things, this is sort of not giving it all away, it's one of the things I'm most excited about um, regarding what you were just saying included. We have this communication model, we call it OCD. So I think we do have to be mildly obsessive about communication, but I'm certainly yeah. not pushing obsession. We do a lot of work on the mental health side of things as well. But the OCD is an acronym. It's uh, optimistic assumptions over optimistic assumptions. Uh, meaning like if you are in doing work with people, if you can on the front end of that work, decide that you have a similar purpose and you're moving in the same direction, then it's essentially on all parties to, uh, maintain optimistic assumptions. Um, C is clarify as needed. So it's, you know, and that is, and you know, this from it's just, it's this bi-directional thing. Yep. You or I might give something to an athlete that we think is spot on. So we talk about the delivery, but if it doesn't resonate with them, doesn't matter. You got to pivot and try, try it. But, but we also throw this back to the people, especially when it's in an organization that they, you know, they, if they didn't get it, they've got to be clear with us. They, they, it's on, we want to empower them yep. in a state of optimism and in a place of trust. We want to empower them to clarify as needed. So we can, you and I can't always know what within the messaging went off. But if we start to empower people to clarify and come back to us with thoughtful questions, now we're really working on something together. And the D is real simple. It's don't talk shit. And yeah, I like that. Context, you know, the, the, depending on the context, sometimes it's don't talk smack. Sometimes it's don't talk badly about the people you're working with. But it's funny. Um, I appreciate your, you know, the way that we're interacting on this. Uh, I, you know, when it comes to, I, I was excited to have this conversation with you. So the, the circumstances and the, and the logistics of getting there, you know, I, I really do live 
that, that, that thing that we share to people. It, it, it's, it, it's nice to hear you say that, but dude, I didn't blink. I, I didn't even bat an eye, you know, you know, if schedules adjust, it's just not, it really just is not a problem. It's life. And it, it is, it is life. So to have a, I mean, it's so close to what we call, we call it practical mindfulness, which is just like, it's just my, being mindful in the world and sort of examining. Um, I think if you examine why you're frustrated about things enough, eventually you can get to the point where you just can pull back and not be frustrated about those things. Yeah. Well, you got to control, you can control with that respect. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So as long as you're doing good work with good people, then, then it becomes easier and easier. So this is very, been very enjoyable for me. Um, but okay. So the good athlete project, the, uh, I, I don't want to do an elevator pitch because I'm really careful to make no, and your everything will be linked below. So as okay. we wrap here, everybody will see in the show notes. Everybody will have all that. So, uh, you know, it's a, don't don't do the work for them if they really are the type of people that are going to help you guys out and get involved. They're they're going to look. You know, I just I, I want to make sure that they have a feel and an sure. understanding of what you're trying to do from a positive standpoint. Totally. Well, I would say that just in general, you know, the the origin of this is well, I won't go into the origin story, but I'd be happy to talk about it. Um, at some point, if, if you want to hear more, please dig in yeah. But the basics of what we do. We, you know, our mission is to maximize the potential of athletics as education. And we do it in two primary ways. We have two verticals. We call them, we have events, which is uh, hosting events that really highlight the power of athletics done well. So, um, lots of powerlifting meets, strength, banks based competitions, pretty straightforward, but, but really we, we are really explicit about the quote unquote life lessons that come out of those things. So highlighting athletics done well is one sort of column for us. And where we've been putting a ton of energy recently is the education part. So that is, we talked about before, that's team workshops and professional development primarily, but we're also in the process of building out resources um, to support people from afar. So we, you know, we've got, we're starting a video series. It's much lower quality than the one that you've got. Uh, but you know, video, whether it's video, audio, um, uh, written publication, we're really kind of doing our best to, um, share the real good stuff with people. That's so good. And, we need that. I, I think we do too, dude. And in one way that I think you definitely are doing this, there's a handful of other people out there that are doing it really well. We try to do this and the, this is sit at the intersection of research and application. Like, you know, the people in the academies, and the people on the front. So like our advisory team at the Good Athlete Project, it's all a bunch of super smart folks. It's like Harvard, MIT, the director of surgery, Johns Hopkins, that are influencing the way that we think. Right, this isn't but a those, hobby. You got some legit players involved here. Those are, exactly. And, and then, but then our on the ground people are, what we think are people like you, very thoughtful practitioners. And then if, the more we can sort of bridge the gap between those two places, here's what's going on in the front, what we need more of, what isn't working the way we thought it was, et cetera, that conversation. And then in the academy, when, when you can study and build a body of research on these things, how can you bridge the gap between those and create something that's sort of digestible enough yeah. for, for someone to pick up and, and run with? And, and um, it's been really, really rewarding work because when we, when we have the very fortunate opportunity to settle in with a group, go to a school and work with a team, do the feedback. It's like, I swear this is true. We, we made a commitment early on. We, you, we, and it actually, this actually maps on our conversation really well. If we could make it, a, we could make it quick and easy. It's the good athlete project shoe. It makes you run faster, jump, jump higher. Yeah. That's not what it is. It's, it's a, it's a relationship that we build uh, to help enhance a culture. It is not a, a quick one-off easy thing to do. 
but we've been very humbled by how effective it's been. And I think that really does feed back into everything that we've talked about. Without a doubt. Well, like I said, we'll, we'll be sure to link that in the bio. And I want to connect you. Let's do this offline with Kara Scholl, who, who spearheads the nonprofit I'm a part of, Movement to Be. And I think there's a lot of collinearity there between that, what we're doing with our apprenticeship workshops. I mean, we're having couples come to the apprenticeship workshops to learn how to be better communicators for their marriage. And, th- and this is what we should want to see, right? Like, just like you know, these things are branching off from just athletics to using lessons learned as coaches in athletics to help businesses, marriages, mm-hmm. things like that, because it came the other way, right? We've all learned from business books and education, but now it's really time for, I think, strength coaches, performance realm to, you know, expand, like get your role, uh, see broader, see bigger. This is so much more than, than, than sets and reps. And that's what we're all about, man. So I appreciate you. I have to run. I owe my family a Saturday. Um, you couldn't, you couldn't have been more gracious. We'll put it in the show notes, but real quick, where is the one most impactful place people can go to follow? Is it, is there a website? Is there a a social media link you want? What's the one most impactful way? I think at good athlete project on Instagram and, and for, for no other reason, we, that's where we're operating most regularly and we can okay. send people to the website, the YouTube page, all sure. those things like that. Awesome. Instagram. Well, listen, Jim, you, uh, thank you for going in depth. Thank you for being so great in an unscripted format and coming into the arena. It can be harrowing for some, but uh, there's no doubt people took a lot from this and we deeply appreciate you. Brett, I'm grateful for you and all your work, man. I look forward to keeping this conversation going. All right, guys, this is the Art of Coaching Podcast. And please remember, I know we say it a lot of episodes, leave a review, share this with five friends. We only continue to grow and build off of you guys spreading the word. So we try to bring you all this stuff for free, uh, but we do need your support to keep the movement going. All right, guys, Art of Coaching Podcast, Brett Bartholomew, Jim Davis, signing off.